following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So the, the, the shape that this series has taken is that we have worked through the biblical story and looked at the way the role of the Holy Spirit has unfolded right from creation through the biblical story. We've looked at the major plot points, if you like, that concern the, the person of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do today is draw the story to a conclusion, to its great finale, and look at the way that the Holy Spirit pulls this whole redemptive story of God forward to its glorious conclusion. But before we get there, I want to tie the end of the story back to the beginning of the story. Because what happens in the end is so connected to the beginning. And I want to just walk through with you again briefly the story of Scripture from the perspective of the Holy Spirit. Trying to draw these, these threads and strands that we've looked at over the past few weeks together. I want to just step through the biblical story. There's a lot of ways that you can tell the story of the Bible. There's a lot of themes you can use, a lot of motifs you can go with. But I want to just walk this through from the perspective of the Holy Spirit, who is certainly an important part of the story. So, we started by looking at creation. God spoke creation into being, and the Spirit of God, Genesis 1 verse 3, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. The waters, if you were here that first week, we named them as Tohu Wabohu, the waters of chaos, the waters of desolation, the formlessness and voidness of the original creation. And the Spirit of God presided over that. And then as God spoke creation into being, the Holy Spirit was the powerful breath of God releasing His creative energy into the world and bringing about the cosmos, bringing about everything that we see in the physical world. The Spirit is the active power, the energizing, creative spirit of life in the world, giving life to all things and breathing life into the first human beings and every subsequent human being following Adam and Eve, giving life, sustaining life, at the end of life, taking it away from all living creatures. The Spirit of God upholds God's entire creation at every single second. But the work of the Spirit in the world is also contested by the powers of evil and sin because of human rebellion against God. These powers of tohu wabohu, if you like, are still active in the world. Just as the Holy Spirit is seeking to move creation forward, Satan and his powers are seeking to move creation back to chaos, back to desolation, back to uncreation, back to tohu wabohu. And so there is this tension between the life-giving work of the Spirit and the, and the destructive work of Satan and his forces and powers. But God hasn't left the world in this state of an endless conflict and an endless tension. For God so loved the world that he called Abraham, and then through him Israel. And to Israel, God, God gave the Holy Spirit, but in portions, different times, different ways, not wholesale. He gave the Holy Spirit to certain people for certain tasks, at certain times, the Holy Spirit came upon the kings and anointed them for leadership. The Holy Spirit came upon the craftsmen of the tabernacle for their work. The Holy Spirit empowered the prophets, the Hebrew prophets, for the task of prophecy. And through the prophets, the Spirit foretold a day when God would step in again to human history and begin this new age of the Spirit. When the Spirit would be unleashed with unparalleled power and presence and flood the world and fill all flesh 
Jew and Gentile. The Holy Spirit would be given in an unprecedented way, and this would accompany the coming of God's appointed representative, the Messiah, who would establish God's kingdom upon the earth. Sure enough, Jesus comes. Jesus of Nazareth arrives. He is the chosen Messiah and the one who, right from conception, is filled, created by, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit right from the beginning. He's empowered afresh by the Spirit at His baptism. And through His entire ministry, He is absolutely consumed by the Spirit, who is the driving force in His ministry, empowering His miracles, empowering His teaching, moving Him this place or that place, guiding and directing Him, and giving Jesus this unspeakable intimacy with the Father so that He can cry out, Abba, Daddy. And then gives us the gift of being able to do the same. That intimacy is what the Holy Spirit gives. And even on the cross, the Spirit is with Jesus. Even in his God-forsakenness. Even as the Father stays his hand and doesn't intervene, the Spirit is still mediating the presence of the Father to Jesus. And still mediating the presence of Jesus to the Father. The Spirit is still there. Even on the cross. Even on Calvary. And then Easter Sunday, and the Holy Spirit reaches down and raises Jesus back to life. And Paul names this as the work of the Spirit, just as the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. The Father raises the Son in the power of the Spirit. Holy Spirit reaches down, raises Jesus from the dead. And this is the beginning of the great new age of the Holy Spirit. This is not just the resurrection of one man. This is the beginning of God's new world. This is the beginning of the kingdom of heaven taking shape right here on earth in the midst of the chaos and sin and desolation and tohu wabohu. This is the kingdom of God coming about now. And the Spirit of God is breathing this new creation into being just as He breathed the first creation into being. Now the Spirit of God is doing it again in the garden tomb, bringing new life, bringing new hope, bringing new possibilities for humanity in relationship with God as he breathes new life into the body of Jesus. This is the beginning of the new age of the Spirit. And then, on the day of Pentecost, the doors of that new age fling wide to us. We are all invited into the age of the Spirit, the new age that God's bringing about, and the great hallmark of experiencing that age and entering into this new creation is the presence, the personal presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives guiding us, strengthening us, comforting us, and encouraging us. And just as the Holy Spirit filled the lives of Jesus' individual followers on the day of Pentecost, He was also actively at work forming community. His goal is always to claim a people for Himself, not just individuals, a people for God's own possession that they might together reflect His glory. And so the Spirit immediately forms community and inhabits that community. He inhabits our community. He inhabits church big C, not just Shaw Community Church, but He fills the community of God's people. And He gives gifts by which we glorify God, not only in the church, but as we looked at last week, in all spheres of life. And He bears fruit in our lives, leading us individually to reflect more and more the image and character of Jesus, leading us as a church to greater and greater maturity so that, as Paul says, we grow up into the full measure of the stature of Christ and we start to look and act like the true body of Christ that Jesus has made us to be. That is all the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, that brings us up to the present day. 
in the story. That brings us up to this moment, and we're in this unfolding story of redemption that God is writing. And the great news is the story's not over. The story is still continuing, and the Spirit of God is still continuing to drive the story forward. And this is what I want to look at with you this morning. Turn over, if you've got a Bible, turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. A couple of verses where Paul hones in on this role of the Spirit and moving the story forward. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of all those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So Paul uses this word to describe the Holy Spirit here. He talks about Him as a deposit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So at one level, that's just the image of a business transaction. You pay a deposit in lieu of a full payment. But as is so often the way in the Bible, I think there's a bit more going on here than initially meets the eye. Paul describes the full payment that God's got in store for us as an inheritance. Where does he get that word from? Go back to the Old Testament, the way this word inheritance was used. Often, it's associated with God's gift of land to his people. The gift of Canaan, the promised land. God said, Leviticus 20, 24, you will possess their land. I will give it to you as an inheritance. I'll give you this land. God gives this beautiful piece of coastal real estate to the nation of Israel, this land of Canaan, and he calls it their inheritance. They're going to possess it. He leads them out of Egypt in order to possess it. He leads them through the wilderness in order to possess it. This is the great gift that waits at the end of the Exodus journey for the people of God. But on the way to the promised land, God doesn't leave them empty-handed. On the way to possessing the inheritance of Canaan, God gives them a deposit along the way. And the deposit He gives them is His own presence, His own personal presence. And the way this works for Israel, if you read the story of, of, of the first few books of the Bible, is that He inhabits this tabernacle. He inhabits a tent. The tent was set up right in the middle of the camp of Israel, full of symbolism that God wants to be among his people. Can't stand being at a distance. God wants to be right there in among the action. So he tells them to build a tent, set up camp around the tent, and then God's presence comes and fills the inner part of this tent. He tabernacles with his people through the desert. And then God needs a way of leading them to the promised land or leading them in this very scenic route towards the promised land. So he gives them a pillar of fire in the sky at night and a cloud by day. And when the fire and the cloud move, they move. When the fire and the cloud stop, they stop. Again, God's presence leading and guiding. All this was a deposit, a foretaste of this promised land that God was leading them towards. And so Paul in Ephesians 1 picks up all of this Exodus imagery and he applies it now to our experience as followers of Jesus. He says, God has also given you a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance, just as he did with the nation of Israel. Now, what is our inheritance? It's not specifically the land of Canaan, but Paul's, in fact, described it just a few verses earlier. Just jump back up to verse uh, 10 in Ephesians 1. He says, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So the inheritance that Paul is describing is that one day God is going to unify all creation under the lordship of Jesus. One day God is going to bring unity to everything, the heavens, the earth, all the, the entire cosmos. It's all going to be united under the sovereign hand of Jesus. That's our promised land. One day the whole earth will be the promised land. 
That's why Jesus promised his disciples the meek will inherit the earth. Not some other realm, not some outer space uh, place called heaven. The meek will inherit the earth. The earth will, the whole earth will be Canaan. It'll be this beautiful promised land that God is leading us into. And the Spirit of God will fill that new creation. This new world that God's going to bring about will be birthed exactly the same way that the first creation was. By the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of this age, the Holy Spirit will be the life-giving power of God that breathes fresh life into creation, brings it to its final destiny. And the Spirit of God will saturate and flood this entire world so that the knowledge of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. Every square inch of this creation will one day be infused with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has got a major role at the end of time, at the end of the age, in bringing about and sustaining that future new creation. That's our inheritance. That's the gift that God has promised to all those who know Jesus. But just like the Israelites, God hasn't left us empty-handed in the present. He's also given us a deposit, a foretaste, a down payment of that inheritance to come. And that deposit that he's given us is the gift of his Holy Spirit. We are like the Israelites journeying through the wilderness of the present towards this glorious land of freedom. And en route to the promised land, God gives us his own spirit as a deposit. Even greater than what the Israelites experienced. They had the presence of God in a tent in the middle of the camp. God gives us his presence in the tent of our bodies, the tent of our physicality. I think that would have blown the Israelites away if they'd tried to conceptualize that idea. Hard enough to believe that God's living in this tent in the middle of our camp. If they'd known what was coming on the day of Pentecost, that the presence of God would fill the hearts of individual followers of Christ, it would have been overwhelming to them, but this is the gift of the Spirit to us. We have the presence of God. And just as God gave them the fire and the cloud to lead and to guide, so He gives us His Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, the inner presence, the inner witness of God in our lives. Not a fire and a cloud out there somewhere, but now this is the reality of our lives, that, that our very bodies are filled with the presence and the power and the life and the energy of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. A greater gift than God ever gave to the children of Israel. It's fulfilled and completed now in the work of the Holy Spirit. So we are, as Christians, we are an exodus people. We are journeying through the desert, if you like of this present age. And en route to the promised land, God has given us his presence, just like the Israelites, a deposit, a foretaste. God has given us his guiding hand, just like the Israelites. We're journeying towards that promised land and we have the Spirit's, but we have a foretaste of that future in our hearts. It's like the Spirit comes to us from that future place, comes back into our hearts now as a taste of it, a taste of that future. That's why the Holy Spirit within you is always lurching forward always moving forward towards God's future, towards new creation. That's his whole purpose, is to bring about new creation. That's why he gives gifts. That's why he bears fruit, to bring about tastes and glimpses of this kingdom, this new creation in the present, to lead us towards the future. That's why when you get to the final chapter of the Bible, you have John saying, the Spirit and the bride, the church, say what? Come. The Spirit of God joins with the church of God in saying, come Lord Jesus. The Spirit within you is crying out for that. Crying out for Jesus to return 
and to make all things new, lurching forward within you to that newness, that renewal, that new creation. And the Holy Spirit hasn't, hasn't waited until that day to start. He's already at work, bringing about tastes of it, bringing about glimpses of it. That's what it means for the Spirit to be a down payment, to be a deposit. He's already starting to build that future now. He started on Easter Sunday when he raised Jesus from the dead. That was the first installment. That was the first installment of this new creation. In C.S. Lewis language, it was the first blossom of spring. The crocus, the first flower of spring bursting up as a sign that winter is over and summer is on its way. That's what the resurrection was. That's what the Holy Spirit did. And ever since that morning, the Spirit has been working to bring renewal and to bring healing. And the Holy Spirit is working to bring new creation into the present. Just as He breathed life into Tohu Wabohu right at the very beginning, so the Holy Spirit is still working to breathe life into lifelessness to breathe hope where there's despair, to breathe light into darkness, to bring order into chaos, to bring victory into defeat, to bring the, the, the peace, the shalom of God into desolation. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And all this in anticipation of the day when Christ returns and God says, behold, I'm making everything new. The Spirit's already starting to make things new right now, in our lives, in our church, and in our world. And the, the really exciting news and invitation of the gospel is that the Spirit of God invites us to participate in that. It's so often the way in Scripture, God doesn't just accomplish His purposes on His own without us, He invites us into it. He invites us to participate in what He's doing. And it's just the same with the Holy Spirit's work of new creation. The Spirit co-opts us, recruits us as agents of the creative spirit in the world, giving life, breathing hope, giving dignity, helping the least and the lost and the last and the forgotten and the marginalized. The Spirit of God is doing these things, but the Spirit of God is doing it through the people of God in the world, breathing life into us and then making us agents of renewal in the world, not just saved so that we can enjoy the salvation ourselves, but so that we can be conduits of salvation and blessing and channel the presence of the Spirit into the world around us, into the lives of other people. Tom Wright puts this beautifully in his book, Simply Christian. He says, God doesn't give people the Holy Spirit in order to let them enjoy the spiritual equivalent of a day at Disneyland. The point of the Spirit is to enable those who follow Jesus to take into all the world the news that He is Lord, that He has won the victory over the forces of evil, that a new world has opened up, and that we are to help make it happen. This is the work of the Spirit. He builds up the church so that He might send out the church into the world. You look at this in the book of Acts. If you read Acts and you see what the Spirit does, you find time and time again, believers pray, Spirit of God comes, and they go. They don't stay. The Spirit of God came upon them, and they spoke the Word of God boldly. Spirit of God comes upon the people of God for mission and empowerment and evangelism to equip them and mobilize them and send them out into the world. That's why some people say the book of Acts should in fact be called the books of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the Holy Spirit rather. It's really about what the Holy Spirit's doing as he expands and grows this Jesus movement on earth. The Spirit of God empowers us so that we might declare in word and deed the powerful acts of God. 
And it's not this endless victory, uh, endless battle just between the Holy Spirit and, and Satan that's uncertain. The victory's been won. Jesus has come. The victory was won on Calvary. And now what the Holy Spirit's doing is announcing the victory. He's implementing the victory in the world. Holy Spirit's announcing to the powers that their day is done, that there's a new Lord and a new creation is being birthed even from within the womb of the old creation. The Spirit of God is doing this and He's inviting us to join Him in it. Now, to get a glimpse of how this might work, just turn over for a minute to Acts chapter 8. Just one example here of how this can happen in real life. It's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. Familiar to, to many of you. Uh, an angel of the Lord says to Philip, who was a follower of Jesus, go, go down on the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Start walking down that road. So Philip does. And on his journeys, he comes across this chariot, which is carrying an Ethiopian official, a really important member of the treasury from Ethiopia. And as Philip sees this, this chariot and he's on his journey, look what the Spirit of God does in verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. Now, I don't know how the Spirit said this. Maybe he said it audibly. Maybe it was just an impression on his heart. But either way, the Spirit of God does this. And he tells Philip what to do. So Philip ran up to the chariot. And he hears the man reading the Isaiah scroll, but he can't understand it. And this gets Philip into a conversation with him about the prophets of the Old Testament and how what they saw was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Leads to the Ethiopian giving his life to Jesus, getting baptized, and then probably making a huge impact back in his home country because of his important status. All because Philip listened to the Spirit. And the Spirit used him in that moment as a conduit of the gospel to someone that he'd never met. Now here's the question for you. Can the Holy Spirit do this today? I say yes. I say yes. I don't think it necessarily has to be an audible voice. I don't think it has to be writing in the sky. It may just be the quiet prompting of the Holy Spirit in your heart, but I think the Holy Spirit can do exactly this today. Prompt nudging you, right? Prompting you. It's that holy nudge that you feel. Sometimes it's as simple as just go and stand beside the chariot. Go and stand by that person. Just go and be in that place. Go and talk to that person. I've experienced sometimes this uh, when I've been flying on a plane. I don't do air travel much, but times that I've been on a plane, there have been these moments where the Holy Spirit has, I feel, just spoken to me and nudged me to start up conversation with the person next to me. Sometimes even before I've got on the plane, I've just had the sense, like whoever you're sitting next to on the plane, I want you to start up conversation. It's not, it's not an audible voice, it's just a, an impression on my heart. Um, and so then I'm praying that I just get an empty seat beside me and I, can, and I can read my book and be undisturbed. I don't really want to, to be honest. Look, I'm just you know, saying, I don't, I'd rather just read my book and bury myself in books about how I should be doing these kinds of things <laughs> rather than actually doing them. You know. but, um, but the nudging is there and God often has to keep nudging and keep it going to get me to listen. And honestly, to my shame, I'll tell you, there's times I've squashed that voice. There's times I've not responded. But there's times I have. And there have been some great conversations that have come out of that. Sometimes they've gone nowhere, uh, but I remember one time I had a conversation with, with a woman on, on a flight and ended up being able to share a lot about my faith in Jesus with her. I think you've got to leave the outcomes of those things in God's hands. It's, it's, it, if the person doesn't become a Christian, say hallelujah and get baptized on the spot, that's okay, right? Take the pressure off yourself. It's, we're just sowing seeds. We're, the main thing is just being available 
to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in everyday life. I think the Holy Spirit is wanting to do this all the time. I think we'd be amazed if we realized how many times the Spirit is actually nudging you. Problem was, we're just so closed off to it a lot of the time. I know I am. I just don't hear it. We're not tuning into that radio. And so we're not hearing the promptings of the Spirit. But I think if we're prepared to open ourselves up to it, the Spirit has all kinds of ways to just stir our hearts and nudge us towards being people of blessing, whether it's saying a word, whether it's doing something in love and serving someone else, just as we go about the course of everyday life. I really believe that. Just yesterday morning, Anna Anna mentioned to me that she'd seen on Friday night this post on our church's community serving Facebook page, a post that Jill Shaw had put up there about a family in Afghanistan uh, who've come over to New Zealand as refugees. Their business was burned down over there by the Taliban. They've come to New Zealand. They've been in the country a couple of weeks. They've just got accommodation in West Auckland, and they have nothing. They just have literally nothing in their home. They need everything. And so Jill just had put the word out. If you have anything that they can use, anything that they can have, from the smallest thing to the biggest thing. And initially, Anna felt like, well, there's nothing really that we have that we can give. You know, we, we don't hoard a lot of stuff. We don't have anything. But she just had this sense overnight and this strong sense when she woke up on Saturday morning, there is something we can do. And she really believes this is the prompting of the Holy Spirit, just saying, you must respond to this. There is something that you can do. And the stirring on her heart. And so she mentioned it to me, and uh, we had a talk about it, managed to rustle up some mugs from our cupboard. And then uh, on Saturday morning, I took the boys up to the warehouse. And I'm not saying this, by the way, to say anything great about me. It, was, it didn't even come from me. This was God speaking to me through my wife. Uh, but went up to the warehouse with Josh and Lawson. It was a great opportunity to talk to Josh about refugees and what that means and how we can be a blessing to these people. And uh, Josh wanted to buy a frying pan, so we got a frying pan and, and, a, and a jug and he also wanted some pigs. So we got pigs. We got this little bundle and, you know, fairly basic stuff. But that's, it's, it's something that we can do. And I, I really believe that would have just passed us by, it would have passed Anna by, had she not just been open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, just nudging and stirring her. Yeah, there's 10 reasons why we could have not done anything. Uh, but there's one good reason why we could have. And that's because the Holy Spirit just prompted her in that moment. And she responded. Sometimes it's just doing things because it's the right thing to do, whether you feel the prompting of the Spirit or not. But there are these moments when the Spirit gets a hold of your life and just grabs on and says, there's something for you to do here. There's a word to say. There's encouragement to give. There's a prayer to pray for someone else. Man, I remember just very recently, I just in such a low place, the only prayer I could pray was, God, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would just stir somebody's heart to pray for me. That's actually the only prayer I could pray. It's like that prayer came to me in the moment of God just saying, you know, you, you don't have anything to pray with right now, but just pray that someone else. And I just trust in that moment that somebody else might have lifted me up in prayer. I think God does that. I think the Spirit of God does this all the time, doesn't he? And, and this, to me, it's so exciting to think of the possibilities as we walk out of here in a more open posture to the Spirit. Who knows what conversations he'll bring along? I sensed a while ago, there's a guy I drive past most days on Glenfield Road, who often in the afternoons comes out, some of you probably have seen him, he comes out on his mobility scooter, sits out on the road there and waves to the cars as they go by. Clearly just a very lonely guy. And I just sensed over a couple of weeks, again, it takes the Holy Spirit quite a while with me, but over a couple of weeks, I just sensed this strong prompting, stop your car and speak to this guy. And so I did one day. I felt weird about it. 
felt a bit awkward, but I went up, stopped the car, and just had a chat to him. And he was a lovely guy. Not that that's the point, but he was a lovely guy. And we had a great conversation. He shared a bit about his family, but about his house and his background. And I just hope in some way that that was an encouragement to him and some sort of blessing. I don't know how that's going to end up. I don't know what impact it might have made. That's not really my responsibility. It was just me seeking to be available and taking a while to be available to the prompting of the Spirit in my life. The Spirit's role in reaching out to those around us is just vital. It's not something we do in our own strength. It's something that we open ourselves up to the power of the Spirit and the opportunities of the Spirit that come and go. And those are moments to lean into and step into. And if we're going to do this, we need to be listening, don't we? We need to be listening to the voice of the Spirit. And this throws us back to what we talked about a couple of weeks earlier of walking in step with the Spirit. If you don't have any kind of walk with the Spirit, if you're not open to His voice, you won't hear it. This takes an ongoing walk, an awareness of the presence of God in our lives, time spent intentionally focusing on God's presence, allowing our minds and hearts to be drawn back to God through the day. And one practice that you might want to think of around this, just very simple, in the morning when your feet hit the ground or when you're in the shower or whatever it is, just pray to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I pray you would bring someone along my path today that I can bless, that I could serve, that I could speak to about you or just whatever it is, help me to be available. Now, you know what that does? Two things. Lord willing, it it helps those moments to happen and releases God's power into them. But secondly, it just makes you expectant that it's going to happen. And then when you're at work and when you're on your journeys and you're just filling up your car with gas or you're at the dairy or whatever, you're just in this heightened state of expectancy. This could be a spirit moment. And when you're expecting it, it's amazing how often those things happen and you just sense that holy nudge, that little prompting, something to step into. There's something to say here. There's a blessing that I can somehow be. Maybe you want to adopt that just as a daily practice, a short, brief prayer to the Spirit each morning, just putting yourself in a place of availability to the Spirit for that day. And when we have the guts to respond to those moments and step into them and do what the Spirit puts on our hearts to do, you're not just being a good Christian. You're not just being charitable. You're not just being friendly. You are being part of the new creation. You are participating with the Spirit of God in reclaiming the whole cosmos for God's glory. It's like another little shoot budding up through the dry, dusty cracks in the desert. Every word spoken in the love of God. Every deed done in service for the love of God. Every time we follow those promptings of the Spirit, it's another flower bursting through the ground of the great new creation that God is bringing about, another part of the kingdom. We are participating in the Spirit's work of renewal, anticipating the great day when God steps in and makes all things new again. So let's learn to listen to the Spirit in our lives. Let's open our hearts up to it. Let's be people that tune in to the voice of the Spirit just as we go about our stuff in the ordinariness and sometimes the mundaneness of everyday life. Let's just live with attentive hearts and minds to the ways in which the Spirit might be prompting us to be part of what He is doing around us. And let's have the courage to step into those moments, to lean into those moments. May we be an exodus people on journey to the land of freedom, coming out of the land of slavery and en route to the promised land, enjoying the power and the presence and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And may we, as God's church, the bride of Christ, join with 
the Holy Spirit in crying out, Come, Lord Jesus. Come and reclaim your good creation. Come and make all things new and empower us to live faithfully before you until that day comes. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.